If you would, take your Bibles and, and turn to Romans 7. We're going to focus our study on Romans 8, the first few verses. But for context, I want to read how uh, Romans 7 ends, what we studied last week. And I want to remind you of the basic argument of Romans. And that is that you and I have a need for a righteousness that comes through faith apart from the law and apart from obedience and good works because we were unable uh, to do enough to earn righteousness. We were all guilty of sin and under the condemnation that sin brings. And when we get law, what we get is something that can point out our condemnation but cannot change things. And so what God has done is He sent His Son to give you a, a righteousness that comes from Him and not from us. To give it as a gift and it's to be received through faith. And, and God has a comprehensive plan to answer all the effects of sin in your life. To answer the guilt of your sin through what Christ has done and, and justification to make you righteous. But also to answer the power and corruption of sin through the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And we're going to see that those two things go together today in the Scriptures that we read. That, that Christ comes to us and gives us the, the freedom to look at the sin that remains in us and to wrestle against it with His strength. Uh, that's what we'll see. But let's begin reading. I'm going to read verse 15 of chapter 7. That's where we're going to start. Let's read God's Word. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is God's Word. It's completely true, and it is utterly trustworthy. Let's pray together. Father, we've read Your Word. We want now to understand it and apply it to our lives. Would you help us do that? Would you send your Spirit uh, to accompany our reflections on your Word and, and to make it stick in our hearts? Would you nourish our faith 
and grant us repentance that we might obey Your Word and even more see our Savior in it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this week in the newspaper, Funnies, one of my favorites is, is a, a comic strip called Get Fuzzy. In Get Fuzzy, there are three main characters. Satchel is a dim-witted, liberal-leaning, tender-hearted, likable uh, talking dog. It's a comic strip. They can break the rules. And also in the same house is Bucky, a cat. Bucky is uh, the polar opposite of Satchel. He's clever and sharp-witted. He is uh, conservative and cold-hearted to the point of cruel. And then Rob is the one who owns the apartment and uh, is, I guess, friends to his animals. And in the particular one that I saw that I want you to think about with me is uh, Satchel sitting at a table with children's blocks trying to pass time, and he invents a little game of stacking the blocks up as high as he can until they collapse, and then stacking them again to see if he can get higher. And just passing time with a little solitary game, and Rob, the human, sits with him and, and begins to do the same thing and says that he likes the game, that it's fun. Satchel says to Rob, you don't have to say that just to spare my feelings. Rob says, I'm not. I really enjoy it. Don't be so falsely modest. Satchel, the dog, says, it's not false modesty. It's self-loathing. Well, then Bucky the cat's walking through at that point and says, well, congratulations, Satchel. You found something you're good at. Self-loathing. Now, as I say that, there are probably a few of you who go, yeah, me too. I know self-loathing. I know that feeling. And here's how it happens. We, because we have trusted in Jesus, because we believe what the Bible says, because we think God is good, we've come to delight and enjoy and agree with the law of God. We think it's good. But we also know that my performance is way over here. And there's this big, huge chasm between what I know is good and what I do. And, and, and there's stuff that I want to do that's good and I can't do it. And there's stuff that, that I wish I didn't do. I hate it, in fact, and I keep on doing it. And it's frustrating and there's this big, huge gap. And now, that's true for every one of us. Every one of us has this big, huge gap between what we know is good and what we actually do. Now, we have a couple of strategies to deal with that gap. Paul tells us that the gap is the normal Christian experience. That was his experience. And he wants you to know that's experienced by every Christian. A delight in the law of God and a, a disappointing performance. Well, we deal with these, this big gap in between by a couple of things. One is we go, well, I should be better. And so I'm going to grit my teeth and work harder and, and I'm going to determine to shrink that gap. I'm going to move toward God's law. And we work really, really hard, and the gap doesn't seem to get much smaller. In fact, sometimes it feels bigger. Because as I'm working hard, I find there's other sin there I didn't notice before. And I get to where I'm beginning to see God's standard was actually higher and deeper than I thought before, and the gap feels bigger. And so now I'm like, well, I've got to work harder if the gap is bigger, and I work harder still, and I still don't see the gap closed. And it's this nasty, dark spiral where the burden of this gap that I have to close 
feels heavier and heavier and heavier. And it leads me to despair and to self-loathing. This disappointment in myself. Something's really wrong with me. I can't close the gap. I can't work hard enough. I can't do it. We're going to call that feeling condemnation. Self-condemnation. The other strategy that we have is if I don't say I'm going to work harder, I look at this gap and I go, all right, you know what happens? I don't like this gap either. But I'm afraid that if I try really hard, I won't close the gap. And the fear of failure makes me so frightened and the pain that I would have is so terrifying that instead of trying to work harder to bridge the gap, I'm going to ignore it. Instead of comparing myself to the law of God, I'll compare myself to somebody else and I'll look around until I find someone that I feel like I can compare favorably. And you see what I've done? Instead of moving me toward God's law, I've moved the God's law toward me to try to close the gap. And I do it by ignoring the fact that, that I'm doing that. I, I, I try to reject this idea and I suppress the distance that I feel and I know it's there and I cover it up and hide it and ignore it. The problem, of course, is that the sin that's in me that makes this gap between God's law and my performance, the sin that's there bears fruit. It bears fruit that's painful. It hurts me sometimes, and even more frequently it hurts somebody else. And, and as I see their pain, I can't ignore the gap. And so I turn into, oh, God, work harder guy. And I'll shift sides. I'll change my strategy. But I'll only do that till the pain goes away. And then I go back into hiding, suppressing, ignoring that there's a gap between me. It's a very shallow happiness where I can ignore for a while, but it's so fragile and so easily broken. And here's the problem. Both camps can't enjoy their salvation. Both camps end up having to you know, look at the sin that remains and can't do anything about it. They feel powerless and beaten. Paul says, wretched man that I am. Miserable because of this. And he's hinting at the solution. That instead of thinking, how can I close the gap? He says, I want you to turn to Jesus and trust Him to begin to close that gap. To begin to rescue you from that sin that remains. You confess your sins. You acknowledge your powerlessness. You look to Christ. But here's the problem. We will say Jesus is trustworthy. But a little part of us says, I'm not sure if He is. I had better get my act together before I go to Him and now we're back in those camps. Here's the thing. Paul wants you to know that you really can go as you are in your struggle, in your disappointment, in the gap between what God uh, says is right and who you are, you can go to God and find real help. Because when you go to God, what you won't find is condemnation. Verse 1, There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about this. You have experienced this. Some flaw, moral sin, something gets exposed to someone that knows you and they give you the disapproving look, the, the eye roll. They begin to withhold their, their affection or their relationship from you and, and they kind of put you on the outs. 
there's a, a condemnation that we share with each other as we get exposed to the sins. You, you felt that somewhere in your relationships. It, it looks something like this. I, I, I'm a mom who's got a couple of small children and a child misbehaves. And the mother does something to address the, the behavior. And there's a person who's standing over here who sees it and may even say, you know, if that were my child, that wouldn't happen. I would do this and this, and, and that would not happen if that's my child. And there's this sort of sense of condemnation that comes down. On the other hand, the same thing happens. There's a, a person who's standing over here who sees all exactly the same stuff and says, you know, she's awful hard on that child. If she'd just be a little more merciful and accepting and give that child space to move, they'd work this stuff out. And you get the same condemnation from the other side. You know what? One of them might be right. But the woman who's struggling to parent her child doesn't want to go to either of those because they feel condemnation and they're afraid to go to Jesus because they're afraid He's going to do the same thing. And Paul says, there is no condemnation in Jesus. You come to Him with the sin and you don't get the eye roll, the disapproving look, the withdrawing, the, the, the Jesus who says, look, get your act together a little bit and then we'll talk. You get Jesus who says, I'll help. It's not that Jesus says the sin that you do isn't bad, isn't worthy of condemnation. It is. It's that He's already condemned it. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. He didn't just say, hey, your sins are okay. He gave you His law, and His law, what it could do is point to your sin and say, that should be condemned. And that was God's analysis of your life. That should be condemned. But see, here's the thing. That's all the law can do. It can point a finger and say, that deserves condemnation. But it couldn't free you from the condemnation. So what God did was He sent His Son to be like you. He came in flesh. So He could represent you as a human being before God. And then what He, he does is He takes all your sins, every last one of them, and gathers them to Himself and brings them to God and says, What does your law require for these? Give it to me. The law required your sins to be condemned. And Jesus was condemned. And in it, all of your sins. Alright, so God's law requires that your lie be condemned. Jesus took your lie and brought it to God and said, What does your law require? And He was condemned for it. Twenty years ago, uh, a man who who obviously have my best interest at heart, sat me down and said, listen, you have a, a, a really painful pride and arrogance. And, and he was right. And so there in tears, I confessed my sin. And yesterday, I had to confess my sin of pride and arrogance again. Twenty years later. And I'm still confessing it. And every time, every little 
moment of my pride and arrogance that's come out and borne fruit in some sinful act, Jesus took that sin to the cross and it was condemned. And so there's no condemnation left for me. And he didn't just take those little acts of pride and those acts of arrogance. He took the, that rebellion that was in my heart, that sense that I want to replace God with me, and he took that to the cross and it was condemned and there's no condemnation left for me. And He took your sin, if you are trusting in Jesus, and it is condemned already, and so He doesn't feel the need to condemn it. He's not insecure. He's not worried about how you're going to turn out. He doesn't feel like He has to show His disapproval lest you think He's okay with your sin. He showed you what He thinks of your sin. He condemned it. But He didn't condemn you. There's no condemnation in Jesus. But there's something better Look at verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. If God's law requires that your lie be condemned, His law also requires that you keep the Sabbath, that you keep it holy from the depths of your heart. And you haven't done that either. But God sent Jesus to represent you. And He kept the Sabbath for you. And you stand as if every requirement of God's law the punishment of your sins and the fulfillment of righteousness, it's all done. You are righteous before God if you are in Christ Jesus. Every righteous requirement of God, every demand of justice that God has, it's already met in you. That is what Christ has done. So now, here's what this means. The law can no longer come to you and say, not worthy. The law can no longer come to you and point the finger and say, you don't belong. The law can't say to you, condemned. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law came and it says, that sin, and that sin, and that sin, and you should die. But you're free from that law. All the righteous requirements of God are already met in you through Jesus. You're free from the law that could point the finger. And all you have now is this law from the Spirit that says, you come with me, and I'll make you live. And so that law that you delight in, you see the gap, but the gap can't condemn you. And so you're free to wrestle against that gap and fail, but know there's no condemnation in your failure. You're free to work against that gap knowing that the Spirit of God is helping you, that Jesus says, you walk with me and we'll keep walking until it's done. That's the point. Uh, Hal Farnsworth, who was a RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt and now he's planted a church in Athens, Georgia, used to say all the time, Everybody would kind of make fun of it because he said it so frequently. Are you struggling to be free or are you free to struggle? It's a great question. And, and, and for 15 years after hearing it, I thought, I think that's great, but I don't know what it means. Here's what it means. Most of us feel the gap between the law in which we delight, God's law, and our performance. And we are struggling under this burden of the gap trying to release the burden and we can find no joy in it because the harder I work, the worse I feel. 
And if I don't work, I try to hide it until I can't hide it because it hurts someone. And I live in this constant fear that my failure is going to rob me of everything. And this burden is crushing. And there's no joy. And I'm struggling to break free. And I can't do it. I'm struggling to be free because I'm trying to save myself. Um, a few weeks ago, I happened to go to the front of my house to look outside and there's a, a telephone pole in the neighbor's yard and I saw Noah and he had a rope wrapped around him in the telephone pole. He was kind of working. He was still in a good mood so I don't think he'd been there long. But there was no one around him and he was just working and about and he might have been calling out for help, I can't remember, but I walked outside and walked over and began to loose it and he was struggling with me and we were fighting to get that rope loose. We got him loose. He's here. Uh, I thought you'd want to know. Um, that's sort of a picture of what we're doing with our souls. I feel bound and, and tight and I can't get free. But see, Jesus has come along and, he, and He's cut those ropes. He's made you free. The Spirit of life has come and united you to Christ where there's no condemnation and you are free to look at that gap between God's law that you love and your performance and say, I can stare it down. I don't have to be afraid of this anymore. Jesus has met this gap already and I can look at it and be honest. And more than that, look at the end of verse 4 who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I can stop thinking, what do I have in my body and in my mind and my will that's determined enough to obey? And I can say, Spirit of God, will you walk with me? And will you help me? And, and will you make me able to look at that gap and do something about it? You see, I can now look at my sin and start resisting it. And you know what happens when you resist sin, don't you? You fail. You mess up. You slip and fall. It looks awful and dark, and it feels bad. You know what it feels like? It feels like war. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And I feel captive. And I feel beaten. Tim Keller calls it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, and, and we just... I said, well, you know what? I have Jesus. And I have the Spirit of God. And I'm going to war. And I can do it knowing... knowing that there won't be condemnation when I fail. There's a image that Ravi Zacharias uses. It's of a test paper. And the child goes up to his teacher and he's scribbled on it and he's messed it up and it looks terrible. And he hands his teacher this and he says, Oh, teacher, he's, he's got a British style. He says, I've spoiled it. I've ruined my test paper. The teacher simply takes the test paper and gives him another one that's fresh. Try again. This is what the Gospel says. You bring Jesus your failed test over and over and over again and you will never find Him going, I've had enough. 
there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you keep coming back. I've spoiled it again. And He will keep giving you a fresh one. And then He'll give you the tutor (laughs) to whisper over your shoulder. The Holy Spirit who will walk with you. And you're free. You are free to struggle against the sin that remains because there's no condemnation in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us believe that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The problem is I see it everywhere else. I feel condemnation for those who don't approve of the way I live my life. And, and many, most of the time they're right. I feel condemnation in my own soul because I do it. But the condemnation we feel might be from others and it might be from ourselves and it might be from Satan, but it is not from Jesus. For Him, we get hope and the promise of help. Help us run to Him with faith and by Your Spirit walk in this new life You've given us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.